I'm so glad you're joining us today on Awaken to Grace because we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 studying a fascinating story of God supernaturally rescuing his people. And you know God does the same in our lives today. We're going to see right out of the Bible what worship does, the right way of worshiping God, how the effects it brings into our daily life and into the battles that we face in life. We're going to see how we are to stand still, hold our position, and see the salvation that God will work on our behalf. I'm so glad you're joining us today on this edition of Awakened Radio. Well, part of this collective of teaching is going to be this topic, unhurried worship. Now, before we get into our text today, which is 2 Chronicles 20, I want to clearly define what worship is because there's a danger in our current culture of church. There is a danger that we limit the idea of worship to music. Just like this morning, we enjoyed what, in my opinion, was tremendous worship music. But that in itself is not the essence of worship. Music is only part of what worship is. That would be like saying church is the heart of the Christian walk. And we know that's not true. Yes, church is important. Yes, gathering like this in corporate worship is incredibly important. And it does help you. But it's only part of the deeper walk with Christ. Would you agree with that? It's only part of our journey with Christ. And so it is, music is only part of what true worship is. So if you want to note this, we get our English word worship from two words that the root of it make up worth, something of value, worth-ship, worship. So what we say when we say worship is that you worship what you value. You worship what you treasure. You worship what is meaningful to you in your life. So that poses a problem for non-religious people. Someone can be non-religious. Someone could be purely secular and say, well, I don't worship anything. Oh, yes, you do. Someone could say, I reject God, I reject any religion, I worship nothing. Oh, you are wrong. Because to worship something means to value something to the point you build your life around it. And everyone values something that they build their lives around, right? So worship simply means to value something. Now, that's, that's a problem for a secular person, but it, it can also be a problem for Christ followers because what you and I can be, be uh, lured into is that we think because it's certain music or our style of music or really good lyrics or music that we really love that we've come today and we've worshipped God, but that's not true if you're not valuing God in everyday life. Do you value God in everything, in every decision, in every area? It means you place incredible value, the highest value upon God. That is worth 
Ship, that is worship. And that is when you value Jesus above everything. Now that we understand what worship means, let's go to an incredible story in 2 Chronicles. Now, there is a certain king named Jehoshaphat. I very much struggled in the 9 a.m. service. <laughs> right before I would say King Jehoshaphat, my mind, in my mind, I would say Josephus. And Josephus, as you know, is a historian, right? Brett Tucker, on my way out, said, at least you didn't say Bocephus. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what I would like is uh, keep a tally and see how many times I say Jehoshaphat, Josephus, and Bocephus, and we'll see. I don't know. We'll make a game of it today. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, I've got it in green now. Josephus. No. <laughs> see, I'm telling you, it's hard. <laughs> Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. Okay, come on, Roberts. Jehoshaphat. All right. So if I, if, if I mess up and something else comes out, you just shake your head at me. Just shake your head. You know what I mean. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to discover this incredible story. I want to walk you through this amazing story. And I want to show you the power that authentic worship has in our lives. Begin in verse 1. There are three nations that are going to come against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Word comes to King Jehoshaphat that three, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and another people group, they are coming and they are outnumbering the people of Israel three to one. It is insurmountable odds. So insurmountable are the odds that King Jehoshaphat knows it. And I appreciate this chapter so much because the Bible records for us his very vulnerable, his very personal prayer. What I want to show you today is how you respond to God when the enemy attacks you. And then I want to show you how God responds to us when the enemy attacks us. What strikes me odd about this text is that King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did nothing. They did nothing to deserve this war. They did nothing to, to instigate this attack. How many of you, you, and I think all of you will, will understand what I'm saying, how many of you have ever been attacked by Satan when you did nothing? The attack just came. How many of you have ever been taken by surprise, by the enemy. I want you to note in verse number five that when word came to King Jehoshaphat, I want you to note first of all what his reaction was. It was an incredibly vulnerable and incredibly transparent and an incredibly human action, reaction. It was fear. He was afraid. He was afraid. I appreciate that the Bible puts this in here. I think if we're honest today and if we're transparent today and we're genuine today, I would think that most of us would say there are times in life when we get afraid. And even those of us who know the word of God, stand on the word of God, quote the word of God, 
there are times that fear sneaks up on us. I know what the word says. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. But there are times you get afraid. I want to tell you today, there's nothing wrong with you for getting afraid. Here's where we get wrong. It's when we stay afraid. Because it is not God's will for you to fear anything today. It's not God's will for you to be afraid of your future. It is not God's will for you to be afraid of medical issues. I can't tell you how many people I've heard who have said, well, my family, cancers ran all through my family. I'll probably get it too. Don't you say things like that. The power of life and death are in the tongue. I've heard people say, well, this happened to my family and that happened to my family and, and I just know it's going to happen to me. Don't, don't, know. That's not biblical. And that's not God's will for you. We are not to be people of fear. We're not to stay in fear. But listen, if you face a situation in life and fear comes upon you, you're not, you're not a bad Christian for that, but you're not to stay there. And that's what I want to show you today in this text. When word came to King Jehoshaphat, he didn't beat his chest. He didn't say, well, we'll teach them a lesson. No, he knew that they were so outnumbered that they were going to be incredibly helpless without the power of God behind them. And instead of staying in a place of fear, instead of being paralyzed and staying afraid, I want to show you exactly, step by step, what this king did and how you and I can do the exact same when problems come into our life. I want you to note, number one, he responded to God. Had I been king, Jehoshaphat, I probably would have began counting. I would have counted how many men I have, how many swords I have, how many shields I have, how fortified we were. I would have sent scouts to find out how many they have. I find it interesting that even the Bible does not number this great army. The Bible gives two words to describe this great army throughout the chapter. It says, one, a great multitude. It says, number two, a great horde. And that's terrifying. And they're outnumbered. And the king knows it. And the king goes directly to God. And I want you to note, first of all, what he said to God. First, I want you to know he responded directly to God. He brought this to God. And watch what he said. He said, oh, God of our fathers, are you not Lord of heaven? And do you not control the kingdoms of this world? Oh, I think that's a marvelous prayer because you know what King Jehoshaphat is doing in this moment? He's taking his fear. He's, he's vulnerable. He knows he's afraid. He's taking it directly to God and he's saying, God, it is not about me. It's not about my army. It's not about our strength. We are absolutely powerless, but we know who you are. You are the Lord of heaven and you control every army and every kingdom on this earth. Do you know what this tells me? I want you to write this down. When you and I understand worship, when you and I have the right perspective of the God we worship, you know what it does? It brings the right perspective in life. If I have the right view of God and I have the right perspective of his sovereignty, of his power, of his majesty, then I'm going to have the right perspective no matter what I face in life. 
But see, so many of us, we dwell on our problem. We dwell on the insurmountable odds. We dwell on the attacks of the enemy. We dwell on the negativity. We dwell on what we cannot control instead of going directly to God and saying, God, you're above my circumstance. You understand what I'm saying today? And King Jehoshaphat didn't go to his generals. And he didn't go to the other politicians or to the other mighty men. He went directly to the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord of heaven, do you not control the kingdoms of the earth? Power and might are in your hand and none can withstand you. Hallelujah. What would happen if you and I prayed that way? See, if you would evaluate most of your prayers, I'm afraid many of us would find so many of our prayers are really complaints. Right? When I was at the gym yesterday, I complained a lot. (laughs) I told Sadie, I said, what's it been, an hour or two? She said, it's been 20 minutes. Shut up. (laughs) Lord, why am I going through this? Lord, why am I facing this? What did I do to deserve this, Lord? God, why me? I don't understand. Why am I in this mess? Why am I in this battle? What did I do? No, that's not the way you and I are to pray. That's not the way King Jehoshaphat prayed. He said, God, your mighty all power and might is in your hand. None can withstand you. Oh, God, will you not execute judgment against these people? And then watch the vulnerability. Watch it. He says, oh, I love this. He says, will you not execute judgment against these people? We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Hallelujah. That doesn't rhyme in the Hebrew. He wasn't trying to make a rhyme there. But isn't that a beautiful prayer? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Can you say that today in the middle of what you're facing? Can you say that in the middle of your battle? Can you say that in the middle of your trial today? God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. No wonder King David said in Psalm 121.1, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. See, when you understand how sovereign God is, when you understand how powerful he is, when you understand the creator that he is, when you understand that everything, including Satan and all demonic activity and everything is under his feet, when you understand the power and the sovereignty of God, then you can look to God the way David did and say with confidence, my help comes from the Lord, not from me. Not from you, not from our strength, not from our weaponry, not from our intelligence, not from our angles. No, my help comes from the Lord and the maker of heaven and earth. Oh, what a creator, what a sovereign God he is. Amen? You see what a difference that is in praying? So we see first, we see the response of King Jehoshaphat to God. He's very vulnerable. He's very open. 
He's afraid. He says, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Now I want you to note the king's response, uh, God's response to the king. A prophet, a man whom the spirit of God came upon. Spirit of God comes upon him and he says, listen, all of Judah, listen, all inhabitants of Israel, listen, O king. Listen to what God, he says, listen to, thus says the Lord. <laughs> listen to what he said. You are not to fight in this battle because the battle does not belong to you, but belongs to God. Hallelujah. I think God would say the same to us today. The battle does not belong to you. It belongs to God. You are to trust in the Lord. You are to go forward in God's name, but don't you dare think it's going to be in your own strength. God knows what he's doing. God's going to come to your rescue, and God's going to help you. Even before the battle begins, God knows exactly what he's doing. And this prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and oh, what confidence surges into the people of God. And then... They get up early the next morning. You can see it there in your text. They get up early the next morning. They go to the front lines. How did they know where to go? I mean, they didn't have Google Earth. And they didn't have GPS and they didn't have drones. How did they know where the enemy would be? Well, don't miss this. The Spirit of God told the prophet. Don't miss this. See, what's fascinating about the Old Testament versus the New is that the Holy Spirit did not live, did not dwell within men. Occasionally, the Spirit of God would come upon a person. See, now not only will the Holy Spirit come upon us, but listen, more importantly, He lives within us. Do you see the difference? And when the Spirit of God came upon this prophet, then the Spirit of God gave them exact detail. Told them exactly where to go. Told them exactly where they'd find the enemy. Listen, here's the principle. The Spirit of God will speak to you. The Holy Spirit will tell you precise information. He'll direct your life. He'll tell you where to go. He'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you when to go. If you listen for the Spirit of God, He is so eager and He is so active to work right here in our day that God's Spirit will speak to you if you listen. And He told Him exactly where to go, told Him exactly what to do. I'm amazed that as I walk through this season of blindness in my life, I'm absolutely stunned at how God prepared me. I'm amazed at the preparation. Some of you were here at that time. Some of you were not. But in early 2017, when we began that journey through the book of Acts, it was four or five or six weeks into the journey. It was early 2017 without knowing I was going to face vision loss, without even knowing I was going to face eye surgeries, without knowing that I was even headed toward blindness. I had no knowledge of that and Do you know what the Holy Spirit told me? The beginning of 2017, the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly and said, Chad, preach without notes. From here on out, no notes. And that was a problem for me because I love notes. I tell you to write things down. I love notes. I'd I'd come up here with five, six pages. You know, if I was about to say Bocephus, I could look at my notes and go, oh, no, Jehoshaphat. Okay, yeah. Or Josephus. (laughs) 
I, I love notes. And I was a big note person. And everything was, was right there, at a, at, just at a glance, with having no knowledge of the valley I was going to walk through. The Holy Spirit said, no notes. Study, prepare, get ready, just like you always do. But no notes. And do you know God prepared me for about a year and a half of preaching with no notes for right here, this moment, in this season. Amen? Amen. And do you know what that tells me? You know what it tells me? What's God preparing me for next? If God so prepared me before the battle came, is he not preparing me right now for something greater? Is God not preparing you? Is the Holy Spirit not able to to speak, to direct, to guide, to say, do this, go here, wait here? Are you listening for the Holy Spirit in your life? So the Spirit of God tells them exactly where to go. They get up early the next morning. (laughs) They go to the front line of battle. Now we've seen Jehoshaphat go to God. We've seen God respond to his people. God says, you're not to fight. I'm going to fight. Hallelujah. Now I want to see the people's response to God. The Bible says that after taking counsel with the people, you're not going to believe what they did. You're not going to believe it. How many of you know that sometimes God doesn't make sense? Have you found that true in your life? Sometimes God does not make sense. Sometimes he will tell you to do something that it makes absolutely no sense. There was one time in my life, I was very young. I was, it was actually before I was even a pastor. I was very young. Now, I would preach in a bunch of churches. I'd always be somewhere preaching at another church. And one day I got off of work and I was so tired. I remember it was a Friday night and I was so tired. And the Lord spoke to me. I was so young, so young. Wasn't married, didn't, didn't, wasn't, wasn't a pastor yet. And the Lord, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, I want you to go to the mall in Johnson City. I care nothing for malls at all. One of, one of the blessings of blindness is I don't have to go shopping with Sadie. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't want to go at all for no reason. Didn't want anything, didn't need anything, had no interest. I was tired. But I knew the Spirit of God told me to. So I go. I pull into the parking lot, and I'm thinking, why does God want me to come here? There's nothing here I want. What what am I doing? But then it dawned on me. Oh, I know what the Lord's doing. I'm going to run into a pastor. And that pastor's going to ask me to come preach at his church. That's what what the Lord's doing. So I start walking through that mall. And I bet people thought I was nuts because I was looking at everybody. Who do I know? Who do I know? Who do I know? Where's a pastor? I'm I'm going to find a pastor. This is what God's doing. I walked all the way through that mall. And I came to the very end. There was a big, large wall, nothing around. And you ever feel foolish with the Lord? You ever feel like you obeyed God, but it was foolish? 
it made no sense. And in that moment, I thought to myself, Chad, you're, you're so silly. You thought God told you to do this. So silly. You wasted your time. You wasted gas and you wasted your time. And right then, the spirit of God said, you're not done. Go to the wall. It's probably 15, 20 feet. I felt even more foolish. I felt even more silly. There's nothing. There's a wall. There's not even any people around. I bet security was watching me every move I made. And I'm just standing there frozen in the spirit of God saying, go to the wall. Why? Go to the wall. I obeyed and I walked to that wall and I'm telling you, my nose was at the wall and I felt like an idiot. And I said, okay, God, now what? And do you know what the spirit of God said? Changed my life that day. The spirit of God said, if you go through your life every day looking for me the way you looked for someone, you will find me every single day. It was obedience. That was the point. Obedience. Sometimes God will tell you to do something that makes no sense. It seems foolish in the eyes of men. It may even seem foolish in your eyes. Very well may happen. But obey what God tells you to do. You don't know what obedience releases from heaven into your life when you obey God. Obey him, amen? So here they are, insurmountable odds, outnumbered three to one. They line up, and what are they going to do? Now this is important. When you go back to verse five and six and seven, All of Judah gathered to seek the help of God. You don't know what it does when you seek God's help. The power that's really behind you when you seek the help of the Lord. I was listening some months ago to a wonderful preacher, and he actually is a preacher, but he's also an attorney. Actually, he's an attorney who preaches. And he, his calling is to help pastors and to help churches who get into legal trouble, people who pick fights with churches. What did we say in the beginning? Uh, Israel didn't pick this fight. It came looking for them. How many of you know sometimes that happens? This pastor was, this attorney was with a pastor and they were losing a case. They had falsely accused a church and this pastor and it was very bad and The prosecutors had an entire team of attorneys. They were stacked with lawyers. And it was this one defender and the pastor. The judge was against them. The jury was against them. The attorneys were against them. And they were going down. The pastor, they're in a hotel and waiting for the last day of the trial. The pastor calls the attorney at 2 a.m. and says, what are you doing? (laughs) He was asleep. (laughs) He said, I'm praying. (laughs) He said, no, come down here. We need to pray. He goes to the pastor's room. The pastor said, you know we're losing. The attorney said, yeah, I know. The pastor said, they're all against us. The judge is against us. He said, yeah, I know. The pastor said, here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to go to this corner of the room. You're going to go to that corner of the room. And we're going to pray and ask God to intervene. He said, I need you to confess your sins, and I'm going to confess my sins. The attorney (laughs) went and knelt down in the corner at 2 a.m., and the pastor begins to pray heaven down. The pastor's confessing this sin and that sin and this sin and that sin. And then all of a sudden, he hears the pastor say, I don't hear no sin being confessed. (laughs) And they prayed. And they prayed quite fervently. They go into court that next morning. You're not going to believe what happened. They asked the prosecution to open up and say whatever they're going to say. And the attorney said, well, Your Honor, we're going to need more time. We don't know what's happened, but uh, we're not in agreement. We were in agreement up until last night. And now this morning, we're not in agreement. We're going to need some time to talk. And then one of the other attorneys stood up and said, this is all false. None of this is true. The pastor's innocent. The church is innocent. And just blew everything up. Amen? God stepped in and he intervened. Watch what happens in our text. King Jehoshaphat goes to the front lines and he tells the men of war, you're going to stand still. Hold your position and see the salvation that God is going to bring on your behalf. You're not going to fight. You're going to stand still, hold the position, and see the salvation that God is going to bring. And then they did the most bizarre thing, one of the most bizarre things that's in the Bible. Something that made no sense whatsoever. Something that to a logical, reasoned mind makes absolutely no sense. They called for the singers. They put on holy attire, no swords, no spears, no shields. They put on holy attire and they lined the front line of war with praise and worship singers. How would you like to be in the choir on that day? If the sopranos could come over, uh, tenors come over, oh no, (laughs) some of you are in choir, you wouldn't want, no, they lined them all up on the front, and listen to what the Bible says, this is unbelievable, the Bible says that when they began to sing praise unto the Lord, listen what God did, the Bible says that God laid an ambush for the enemy. And he confounded the enemy. And the enemy turned on one another. And they killed all of each other. The Bible says that Judah went to the watchtower. And they saw a number that couldn't be numbered. This great multitude. This great horde. And the Bible says that not one of them escaped. Not even one. What is the point today? The point is when you have the right perspective of God, when you worship God because of who he is, when you worship God because of his power and his sovereignty and his care for his people, when you worship God out of the right perspective, it gives you the right perspective of life's problems. And instead of dwelling on those problems, you go straight to God and God empowers you for the battle to the point you don't even fight the battle. You stand still and hold the line and God fights for you. 
God is willing and God is eager and God is able to fight on your behalf. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need your strategy. God doesn't need your ability. God doesn't need uh, what you think you bring to the table. God can defeat your enemies all by himself. He just needs you to hold the line. Hold the position. Just stand firm. I'm telling you, in this season I'm facing right now, I have told Satan over and over, and every, every spirit of darkness that's assigned to my situation right now, I am going to hold the line. I'm not going to back down. The harder Satan fights me, the harder I will preach. My job is not to fight. My job is to stand still, hold my position, and watch what God's going to do in my life. And that's your responsibility as well. You don't need to fight today. You don't need to worry yourself today. You don't need to fret about the outcome today. You just need to hold the line and worship God for who he is. That's your responsibility. And when you and I have the right view of God, then we will worship God in the right way. And that right worship is going to release his power into our life. We're going to watch God do what only God can do in the midst of our battles. Some of you are worried today and you're afraid today and you're fretting today. I want to tell you, God can step right in and God can work on your behalf. And he will according to his word. Say, Chad, what do I do? Just stand still. Some of you, I, I can feel it right now by the Spirit of God. Some of you have contemplated. This is the Lord speaking to someone. You have actually thought that this will be your last day in church because it's not doing you any good. Let me tell you, Satan is a liar. He wants you to back down. He wants you to turn around. He wants you to quit. He'll do everything he can to knock you over, to get you out of the way. You've done nothing to merit the attack that's come upon your life. But listen, God's going to fight for you. Don't quit. Hold the line. Hold your position and don't quit for nothing. It's exactly what the enemy wants. But when you hold your position, you're standing still. You're standing in faith. You're standing on the word of God. You're standing on the promises of God. I'm telling you, that allows God to work in supernatural ways in your life. And God doesn't need your abilities, and God doesn't need your strength or your natural abilities. He has supernatural ability that he can bring right in the middle of your life and right in the middle of your circumstance. Hold the line today. Hold your position. Take up the shield of faith and say, I'm going to stand, and I'm not going to back down one inch I'm going to stand my ground. Why? Because God is going to fight for you. I'll tell you today what the prophet of God said. The battle is not yours. It is God's. This blindness has not. It's not about me. It's about God's plans and God's purposes. The healing is not about me. It's about God's plans and God's purposes. 
What am I to do? Hold the line. That's my job. That's your job. And as we do it, watch what happens. When they began to sing praise, God laid an ambush for the enemy. I don't know how my story is going to go. I don't know. I don't know. I'm literally speechless. I don't even know what to say. I don't know how. And I don't know when. I could not tell you how or when or any. I can't even give you a description, but this is what I know. God is going to ambush the enemy for what he's done. He's going to ambush him. I'm just going to hold the line. I'm going to hold the line. I'm going to hold the line. Are you going to do the same in your life? There may be one. There may be five. There may be many that Satan has told you, quit. Hold the line. Satan's told you, God's given up. He hasn't even started yet. Hold the line. Hold your position. Don't quit today. Watch what happens. God confounds the enemy. He lays an ambush for the enemy. I think about that pastor and that attorney. What an ambush that God laid on their behalf. Amen. What an ambush. What an ambush. The Bible says that when they went to the watchtower, there were so many bodies, you couldn't even count it. Not one of them had escaped. And the Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says that the men of war went and they began to take the spoil away from the dead bodies of the enemy. They were great and mighty in goods and precious goods and fine clothing. And the Bible says that Israel took all of that for themselves. And it was so much that they could not even carry it all. And the Bible says that it took them three days to get all the spoil. Let me tell you, when God intervenes and when God ambushes the enemy, oh my goodness, the blessings of God that's going to come into our life. We're going to go in and we're going to take from the enemy what he tried to take from us. Amen? And so here they are, three days, three days, three days it takes them. And the Bible says when they came back to Jerusalem, they came back singing. And watch what it says. God calls them to rejoice over their enemy. To rejoice over their enemy. I don't know who this is intended for today, but I'm telling you by the authority of God's word, God's going to turn your situation and you're going to rejoice over the enemy in your life. Don't quit. 
You've come far. You've come way too far. The Spirit of God has guided you. He's directed you. You're on the front lines of this war. And if you will just stand still today, if you will just hold your position today, you will watch, you will see how God will work in your behalf, and you'll take the spoil of the enemy. And God will allow you to rejoice over your enemy. Amen. They came, the Bible says, this great horde, this great multitude came against the people of God, devoting themselves to destruction, and God utterly destroyed them. See, my friends, you and I don't fight for victory. See, you know what the difference is between this story in the Old Testament and where you and I are living today in the New Covenant? Jesus Christ permanently gave us victory. That's why you and I don't have to fight today. We just have to stand. Because Jesus Christ has already given us. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumphal procession. The victory is already won. We don't fight to get victory. We fight because of victory. So we stand on the front lines today, not with our knees shaking, not afraid. We stand on the front lines, worshiping the God who is the maker of heaven and earth, worshiping the God who controls the kingdoms of this world, worshiping the God who has already said, it is finished (laughs) amen it is finished and let me tell you God doesn't give partial victories God gives total victory God doesn't give partial salvation God gives complete salvation and I'm telling you God's not going to give me partial healing God's going to give me total healing in Jesus' name. Amen. And you say, Chad, when's it going to come? I can't tell you. You say, Chad, how's it going to happen? I don't know. Chad, when's God going to turn it? I, I don't have any of those answers. But see, I don't need those answers. What I need to do is hold the line. And that's all I need to do. And worship God, not because of what he can do but because of who he is and see because and help me Lord not to say this pridefully because God is so valuable in my life he's more valuable than my eyes he's more valuable than the ability to see He's more valuable than anything I can gain. And he's far more valuable than anything I'll ever lose. He's valuable to me. And that's why today I worship him in gain and in loss, in heartache and in joy. I worship God. Is he valuable to you today? 
Can you worship in spite of what you're walking through? Can you worship in spite of what you face? Let's tell God. Let's stand right now, all of us. Let's tell God how worth, how valuable he is to us, how much we treasure him. And here's what we're going to do. We're on the front lines today. We're on the front lines. And our weapons are not carnal, are they? But we do not fight against flesh and blood, do we? But our weapons are mighty. Our weapons of prayer, our weapons of worship, our weapons of singing and exalting the King of Kings, they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And we're going to worship God today because of who He is, because of how valuable He is in our lives.